I um, know for those of you who are here and a part of the Bible class that uh, I had on Wednesday night, um, I uh, allowed you to uh, come and celebrate with me and my wife for our 20th wedding anniversary. That was pretty cool. And others of you I know are also celebrating anniversaries at this time. And uh, while we always like to um, give attaboys to people who are uh, celebrating wedding anniversaries, sometimes there are individuals who come along that are just rock stars. And we have two rock stars with us this morning who this last week celebrated their 65th wedding anniversary, Wilbur and Murtis Johnson. Yeah. That is awesome. And I love these people right here. They're like my adopted family. Uh, they came and uh, rescued me from the heat of South Alabama 12 years ago, and uh, I have loved them ever since, and 65 years. We're trying to catch up with you. We're at 20. Just, uh, you just keep going, and we'll keep going, and somewhere we'll meet in the middle. Who knows? But we are so excited for you guys. Congratulations, and thank you for that example that you have, not only for your own family who's scattered around here in the auditorium, but to your spiritual family as well. We greatly appreciate that. Hey, I know a lot of people are traveling these days and uh, going off, whether it be for uh, anniversaries or for vacations, and we want you to be uh, participating, if you would like, uh, with our worship online. You can go to uh, eastbrainerdchurch.org, and you can participate on EB Live. You'll see a link there, and you can uh, watch the service that's taking place here. You can also, if you miss any of the teaching time that we have during our worship, you can go online and, and catch up. I know there's going to be some of you who are going to be leaving uh, this next week, and I'm just going to tell you that next week is the lesson that you do not want to miss, all right? Uh, now, if you're not going to be here next week, well, no soup for you. I'm sorry. It's just, um, uh, we're going to talk about three words that can change your life. And if you're not here, you're not going to know what those three words are, and your life will forever just be the same because you will not have heard those three words. So either come and be with us, watch online, do something, because next week, three words that are going to change your life. Now, because I knew that there would be people traveling and people are sitting out here going, oh man, I'm going to miss the three words, I've got ten for you today, all right? I got 10 for you. Now, they might not change your life as much as those three, but these 10 are going to be awesome. But here's the problem with those 10. Those 10 words represent the hardest prayer in your life. It's the hardest prayer that you will ever pray. And it's just 10 words. It was a prayer that was prayed by Jesus as he was experiencing the greatest agony that he had seen in his life as he is suspended between heaven and earth, knowing that the sacrifice is being paid. And he looks out upon those who want his life. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Ten words. The impact of those ten words. Mark's gospel records... That when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. Ten words. The hardest prayer that you will ever pray. You know, I guess I can ask you to raise your hand this morning for anybody that's here that's been wronged. That something has happened that's just 
wrong, that's not right. There's some injustice that you have suffered. And, and most likely for some of you, it might be the first time you raised hands in church. For others, it, it might be something that you're very accustomed to saying, yep, I've been wronged. That's me. It's me. Because we cannot go through life without having some type of injustice suffered upon us. And let me tell you, I don't like it when people are mean to me. And I don't like it when people are mean to my kids. And I surely don't like it when people are mean to my wife. And you probably feel the same way, right? When different things happen in your life, you, you get all those porcupine quills come out and the hair on the back of your neck stands up and all of a sudden you become mama grizzly and you just break into defense mode because you don't like what somebody has done. They violated your rights. They've gone too far. They've stepped over the line. They've carried things farther than it ever should have gone. You've been wronged. But here's the deal with that. When you and I have been wronged, we find out a lot about our spiritual life. You see, you can tell a lot about someone's heart by how that person prays when he or she has been wronged. There's a reveal that takes place. Your prayers provide a unique window into the true condition of your soul. See, we live in a world filled with wrongdoers. And let's just own something. I'm a wrongdoer. And you're a wrongdoer. And I hurt people's feelings. And you hurt people's feelings. It's human nature. We put ourselves before others and we cause them harm. And so as we talk about this idea of life squared and how that Jesus said, listen, I have come that you might have life, but I want you to have it to the full. It's not just any ordinary kind of life. This is a God relationship life. This is a forever eternal altering kind of life. Well, what does that mean in terms of our relationships, specifically when it comes to those who harm us? What impact does life squared have when dealing with the hurts and offenses of our life? And so since this is such a common problem, I just thought, hey, listen, let's just spend a few minutes today looking at some of these different things that pop up and, and perhaps how God would like us to, to handle them. So the first thing I want us to do is just think about categories of wrongs, okay? We talk about three categories. Here's the first one. These are just minor offenses. Just minor offenses that take place. These are just nothing more than slights. There, it's something that someone forgot. There was an appointment that was forgotten. He forgot to hang the towel up in the bathroom. The seat was left up. The toilet paper was going over instead of under. Whatever the slight might be. You understand it's really not that big of a deal, but because it was done to you, because they pulled in front of you, because they took your parking place, because they're sitting in your pew, all of a sudden you have been offended, right? You have been slighted, but it's a minor offense. It's just a violation of expectation. Now the danger is that whenever one of these things happens to us, we end up blowing it all out of proportion as if it's the worst thing that's ever happened to us in our entire life. And we go around with this idea going, can you believe what so-and-so just did? Now, oftentimes, it's a, it's a good idea that when you are talking about what someone else has done to you, and the person that you're talking with about this incident, when that person goes, really? That probably means it's a minor offense, okay? When you're going, you never believe, and you explain what happened, and, and then they go, that's it? Really? 
But you want them to feel your pain. And so you begin to talk about just how, how hurtful it was. And yet they're still not giving you anything back. It's probably a good idea to practice these three words. Now these might change your life also. Get over it. Yeah. In fact, why don't we say that out loud? Ready? One, two, three. Get over it. Now some of you looked at somebody when you said that. Now that wasn't what I asked you to do. I saw you, and we're videotaping here. I mean, it went out online. And some of you, like, looked to your husband and said, would you get over it? Right? You did. But you get over it. And you realize it's not that big of a deal. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 5 exhorts everyone who claims to be a Christ follower, saying that, that love is not easily angered. And that the people of God should not be, some translations say, provoked. The idea here is that as Christ followers living under the ever-flowing fountain of God's love, our hearts should be so filled with God's kindness and God's gentleness and his love that we should have the resiliency that every little minor offense should not just send us over the edge. We shouldn't be provoked to all of these types of wrathful words and actions because of the minor offenses. The normal little frictions that happen in families and relationships in the everyday course of just living, these are things that we need to get over. Or for those of you that still have kids at home, let it go, let it go. They're minor. Move on. But you see, these category one offenses do a great job of revealing the state of my heart. Because from time to time, when my heart is not in the right condition, and I get offended or, or I get upset because of something that someone else has done, I end up saying things that I regret. I end up thinking thoughts that I should not think. And it's a clear indicator that I am spiritually and emotionally depleted. The condition of my heart is revealed. And I need to go back to some of those replenishing streams that we've talked about in the past and be filled up again with God's grace and and his mercy. Because it's a speed bump. It's child's play. It's first world problems. It's things that are not big worries. You can easily overlook it. You can easily forgive. Or you can do the opposite. And you can be forever offended. And you can play the victim. And you can stand for your rights. And you can just let the anger overcome you. Or you can get over it. And if you've been too easily offended recently, then I'd like for you to take a time for a quick confession and, and why don't you just join me in this inverted prayer of Jesus. Father, forgive me for I know, what I know not what I do. I've lost sight of your narrative, Lord. I've forgotten about the forgiveness that you've given to me. I've forgotten that I am a child of the most high God and I need to let it go. Maybe you need to pray that prayer this morning. That's category one. Category two raises the stakes a little bit. These wrongdoings are a little more complex. Because these are legitimate wounds. They're not minor offenses. You've been hurt and wounded by the carelessness or the intentionality of others. A confidence, perhaps, has been broken. There is loss of trust. There is damage that has been done to the relationship. And there is no quick fix. Because every time you see them and they walk into church, you remember what it was that they said. You remember what it was that their 
child did. Every time you see them at work, you think about how that they kept you from getting the promotion. And it just begins to boil within you and it just keeps going. And we do ourselves a disservice if we just tell one another, hey, listen, you're a Christian, just forget it and let it go. To those, though, who are open to exploring what life squared looks like when you've been hurt by another's actions or inactions, Jesus has got five go instructions for you, all right? For some reason, I'm on the, the numbers today. He's got five go instructions. Here's the first one. Go. Go. In Matthew 18 and verse 15, Jesus outlines what to do in a situation when you've been wronged. He said, if a brother or sister sins against you, then you go. You go to that person. If there's a relational rift, no matter who caused it, you go. You take the first step. You don't sit at home hoping you get an email from the person that hurt you. You don't wait until the phone rings. You don't wait for that text to pop up. You go and you be the one that starts the conversation. You be the one to take the first step. And then when you go, Jesus says, go alone. He says, go privately. Don't hold a pre-meeting. Don't call all your friends. And please don't announce it on social media. Don't take a picture of yourself in the driveway, hashtag confrontation, you know. Don't, don't put it out there on Instagram, hashtag justice coming, you know. Don't, don't do that. You go alone. You don't tell anyone else about the conflict that you are having. You take it to the defender directly. And by the way, before you go and you talk to the person about whatever the problem is, you go and talk to God about your heart. Go talk to God about your heart. About how you're feeling and the emotions that you're carrying and the word choices that you are going to make. Because here's the third go. Jesus expects you to go to reconcile the relationship. When he instructs you to go privately to the one that's offended you, it's not so that you can go and get your pound of flesh. It's not so that you can go and make them grovel and, and make them feel guilty. He says if they listen to you, then you have won them over. It's, it's kind of like if I were to go to Derek and say, you know what, man? We have this great relationship, and, and I want our relationship to continue on in the future, but, but I just got to be honest. There, there's some things that have gone off the rails recently, and, and you might not even realize that, that you did it. And, and I understand that. I don't know where you're coming from, and, and this might be the first that you've thought about it, but I want us to sit down and talk about something that's really hurt me. And I hope that you're willing to listen and and just be willing to work through this with me because I want our relationship to last. You want the relationship restored. We're good, brother. We're good. Yeah. No, sorry, I didn't. I, I forgot I'm supposed to go privately about that. Um, here's the final go. Go now. How long should you wait before setting things right? Jesus addressed the when question in Matthew chapter 5. Say you're at the worship service and it's packed and people are singing and, and worshiping and the Holy Spirit taps you on the shoulder and reminds you of a, a rift that you have with someone else. Reminds you that you and Derek are not okay. Jesus says, you know what? You crawl over the 10 people that are in your row. You say, excuse me, and 
And you get up right in the middle of the song service. You get up right in the middle of the prayer. You get up right in the middle of communion. You get up right in the middle of Chris's lesson. And you go find that person, whether they be here or not, but you go and you make contact with them. And you resolve whatever it is that's between you. Because your broken relationship and the restoration of it is more important than for you to keep singing worship songs to God. That's what Jesus says. That's how much he values the relationships. And that's how, that's how he expects the disciple to live their life. So that others around see that type of attitude and are amazed by that type of restorative conversation. Now maybe you attempt to have one of these conversations and the other person doesn't respond well. Well, Jesus offers a follow-up to that. If you can't get the issue worked out during that first meeting, then maybe you need to go and, and, and take a trusted friend, maybe someone that, that you both have in common, and you try to, to meet again and talk about the particular issue. Eventually, you might end up needing to take someone within the church leadership with you. But most of the time, if you go in the right way, if you go in private with the spirit of reconciliation, you're able to work things out, even though, yes, you have been offended, and even though, yes, you have been hurt. Category two. But what about category three? See, these are the life-shattering injustices. These are the wrongdoings that come out of nowhere. An unthinkable tragedy that forever changes the landscape of your life. There was an accident. And it wasn't your family's fault. But your family will forever live with the consequences. There was a divorce. You had nothing to do with it. You're just the son, you're just the daughter, but it forever changed your life. By God's grace, not everyone has to experience category three injustices, but if you do, the pain and the loss can seem unbearable, and the road that leads to forgiveness is paved with tears. But understand, the severity of the defense, the severity of the offense does not lessen our responsibility for forgiveness. I have seen grown victims of sexual abuse do the hard work and forgive their perpetrators. Not releasing the criminals from their legal consequences, but releasing themselves from the desire for revenge. I've even seen marriages reconciled in spite of adultery. I've seen addicts enter recovery and make amends with the forgiving families that they have devastated and that they have bankrupted and betrayed. By God's grace and genuine forgiveness, category three offenses can be overcome, can be worked through. It's difficult. It does not happen overnight. For many, it requires a lifelong journey. And it's a journey that's spent walking side by side with Jesus, listening to him repeat those 10 words that, yes, can change your life. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
Did you notice that the hardest prayer that you will ever pray is not about you? The hardest prayer that you will ever pray in your life does not say, Father, help me to forgive. See, we've been talking about that through these last few minutes, about how we can go through the steps of of forgiveness. But the hardest prayer that you will ever pray in your life is not about you being able to forgive. It's a prayer petitioning God's forgiveness. It's a prayer petitioning God's mercy. See, the true evidence of life change is when we desire the one who has wronged us, the one who has hurt us, the one who has maligned us and crippled us, when we desire for her or for him to receive God's grace. That's when there's been life change. That's when we're living life to the fullest. When we say, Father, they've hurt one of your children. but I want you to be merciful. I want you to forgive. That's radical forgiveness. And radical forgiveness is a powerful thing. It takes people's breath away and it causes them to ask, how in the world did you do this? Something has to change in a normal human heart Something has to change and a different heart has to take its place for radical forgiveness to occur, to be able to move past those category three tragedies. And I think it begins when we experience the forgiveness of our own sins through the transforming grace of God. When we have an accurate understanding of our own shortcomings before a holy God, it empowers us to choose forgiveness also. Or did you just come to God so that you could have salvation behind door number three. Did you just come to Jesus because of something you thought he could give you? Or did you come to the Lord because you wanted to live? To live differently. See, Jesus said of a prostitute who had anointed his feet with expensive perfume, he said, I tell you her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. And so she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. You see, when we fully comprehend the radical forgiveness that God extended to us while we were yet sinners, then that's truly a life changer for us. Because it becomes much easier to extend forgiveness to others when we are fully aware of how much God has forgiven us. Because then when your heart is filled with kindness of the Father and every day you have enough of His grace overflowing that you can extend grace to others, when your heart is so filled with the practical truths from Scripture about what to do when you've been wronged and and insight about how to navigate categories two and three situations, you begin to understand the alternatives to hostility and, and bitterness and revenge-seeking. That's when a new life begins to fill your soul. An abundant life. So let's be up front. Forgiveness is a lifelong process. And every once in a while, you just have to circle back around and get your heart right again.
Do not let unforgiveness hold you captive. Don't let it rob from you time and effort and and energy that you could be investing in meaningful pursuits. Because the sooner that you can pray a prayer of forgiveness and release the one who has hurt you, the sooner that you can begin to live this life of abundance. And so we're going to sing and we're going to pray. And maybe this morning you need to come and together offer up the hardest prayer that you'll ever pray in your life. It's 10 words, but it'll change you. Would you like to live again as we stand and as we sing?